0: Welcome to the Boys in Blue podcast, the podcast that's all about cops. I'm your host, retired police officer Bill McReynolds. You have tuned in, undoubtedly, to the most informational law enforcement podcast out there today because we'll talk to real cops, some active, some retired, and we'll get the inside story on law enforcement. So here we are again. I'm your host, retired police officer, Bill McReynolds. Once again, I'm seated behind this stainless steel titanium microphone inside the Boys in Blue podcast studio here in Mesa, Arizona. And, you know, we've had some interesting, interesting uh, podcast episodes. And today we have a, a little bit of a different twist, but very good. I was Many of you have heard of the famous toughest sheriff in America, Joe Arpaio. He was on the podcast as a guest one time, and uh, he just ran for sheriff in Maricopa County here again in Arizona. Uh, He lost that bid, but, you know, uh, in talking to him and just mentioning him and all the the difficulties he had with the former uh, administration, how they tried to Railroad him and brought all kinds of actions against him and charges. And, and uh, our guest today had a big part in uh, raising money to help defend Joe Arpaio against some malicious prosecutions. And it was a su- successful outcome for Joe Arpaio. But we are so pleased to have as our guest today, Jim Foltis. He is a former police officer from Lynbrook, New York, PD. And he spent many years there, retired. He was 23 years. He was executive director of the Law Enforcement Alliance of America. Uh, Had a big part in pushing forward the H.R. 218 bill, uh, signed by President uh, Bush in 2004, the Police Officer Safety Act. And recently now, he is the current president. Uh, the National Center for Police Defense, and you wonder these policemen that get maliciously charged, uh, they get charged, indicted before all the facts are in, and we've all seen it happen. And especially as guys in law enforcement, former law enforcement, there's an unfairness that goes about it. There's uh, politicians that come out lambasting the officers before they even know the facts. And sometimes the facts that you see a little 10 second clip from somebody's cell phone doesn't tell the whole story. And many times the uh, sometimes the uh, political situation is anti-law enforcement. And that's the beauty of having a National Center for Police Defense, which Jim Fortis is the president. So, Jim Fortis, we have you on the line today and we're so glad to have you. We welcome you as a guest.
1: Well, thank you very much, Bill. I'm I'm glad to be here and the boys in blue, and uh, it's uh, really really special that uh, Joe had recommended uh, for me to be on the show because uh, Joe Arpaio is a is not only a friend, but he's just one of the greatest people that I've ever known. Uh, I truly wish that he had succeeded in his bid to be sheriff he probably is uh, one of the fairest and uh, and best sheriffs that have ever been elected and he was certainly uh taken the obama administration went after him relentlessly uh, charged him with a federal misdemeanor and if if you can believe a misdemeanor charge could actually cost over a million dollars in legal fees, uh, and they just never, never stopped. And I was there for the whole trial, and it was, it was a horror story. And uh, Joe was a gentleman throughout, and uh, and even in the end, uh, they, they still, they didn't even after he was pardoned, they didn't want to drop the charges and i believe he's still even fighting that after three years
0: well that doesn't surprise me and you speak highly of joe uh, we couldn't respect him more here in maricopa county in fact here's the deal here's the kind of guy joe is he's got thousands and thousands of followers he returns my phone calls <laughs> you know he's just that kind of guy everybody's equal in his eyes and uh he takes care of people and He's just a gentleman, and he got a lot of heart. And the latest word from Joe from last week, he told me personally, he says, you haven't heard the last of me. <laughs> and he's 88 years old, my goodness. And I do believe that uh, his age uh, had a little bit to do with people not uh, voting. It was a close vote, you know, Jim. It uh, went down to the wire. It went a couple days counting all the late ballots to uh, uh, certify that election.
1: Uh, I, I know it was just uh, absolutely amazing and uh, I, I mean you can't find a sharper mind 88 or 8 he is just uh, the the sharpest man I know so uh, he's he's unbelievable and uh, you're probably right uh, a lot of people look at age and uh, that may be why but I, I know it was very, very close. I watched it. I know the last time I had looked at it, was, they were 500 votes apart, and I don't think that, that he actually lost by much more than that. It so, was a close one. It was a close one.
0: Well, Jim, election. Um, tell me about you now. Now, you are Are
1: you from New York, Jim? Did you grow up there now? Yes, yes. I was actually born in, in New York City, and... Uh, I was raised in in uh, the tip of Long Island, in uh, East Hampton, Montauk area, and uh, and then and, uh, went to college, and wound up in the army during the Vietnam era. I had enlisted, and uh, and then uh, wound up getting out never actually had thought about becoming a police officer, and uh, at one point I had met a uh, a highway patrol police officer. At that time, they were called park park police officers because they did all the parkways in New York, and, and they actually did away with that position, and he said to me, he said, uh, He said, why don't you go back uh, and take this Nassau County police test? And uh, he said, "Uh, they'll pay for you to finish your college. And uh, he said, you'll do very well. And uh, so I actually became motivated, took the test. And that was the year, that was 1974. I took the test and about 2,000 people took the test. It was most people that had taken the test. And the test was uh, challenged by, uh, at that time, by females. And it was held up. Mm -hmm. And I wound up 53 on the county test. But villages uh, and cities were still taking police officers. And that's how I wound up on the village police police at Lindbrook which was a very good choice. I wound up being the uh, president of the union, Uh, going back to school, like he said. I wound up getting my master's degree in in industrial psychology and uh, criminal justice. And uh, then from there, uh, after 14 years, I got injured on the job. I Wound up leaving the department as the highest and most decorated officer in the history of the department, and mm. wound up in Washington running Law Enforcement Alliance of America.
0: Wow! So you ran the uh, Washington Alliance Law Enforcement Alliance of America for twenty-three years. Yes, sir.
1: Wow! And uh, we we did uh, we did a lot. It was a We tried to do something, uh, that was a little different, did a alliance between, uh, police and civilians, and it was actually a membership organization, which, uh, membership organizations are a little harder to run, but it, it went very well. Uh, we were very close to the NRA, uh, We assisted them to get more and more law enforcement officers involved with the Second Amendment issues. Many officers were not educated in civilians having firearms, so we became very much involved. I testified in probably every state from, I'm trying to think, 1993 until the nra had passed almost shell issue in in every state i testified almost in every state assembly for shell issue carry for civilians and at the same time we were running hr 218 which i introduced with randy duke cunningham and ralph hall in uh, the uh house of representatives and uh, late 1993, and we tried to carry that number until it was passed and signed by President Bush in 2004. So now, at least active and retired police officers can carry their firearms anywhere in the United States or any territory of the United States. Uh, Retired, which I didn't plan on, but Uh, A lot of states said, you know, we don't want retired carrying unless they have gone through some training. So you've got to go through a little bit of training to carry a firearm. But after you do that, you can carry anywhere. Plus, if you have a Florida license, I think it's recognized in 32 states also. Well, that was quite an accomplishment.
0: I know uh, the association I belong with, I'm retired from Washington State. Uh, police officers up there, and that's that's quite a deal for them. They have a couple shoots a year to make sure they're all qualified, so they can carry in any state. Now, so you you transition now over to the National Center for. Police defense. Now, did you spearhead that, or was it already in operation
1: when you started? I know you're the president now. How'd that come about? And what is actually meaningful? we had we had thought about it. And if you remember back to the time of Stacy Coons, there was a group started. It was called Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund, and they became pretty big. But we felt there was need for another group that had. A little more diversity so we started the National Center for Police Defense that would not only help with defense uh, for law enforcement officers that had done their job the way they were trained to do it and then all of a sudden the system came down on them and said hey you know you may have done it right but we've decided that we don't think you did and we're gonna charge you with a crime so at that point. And the first case we were involved in was the Darren Wilson case and a Michael Brown case. And here's a person who was not charged with a crime, but yet his life was ruined. Darren wanted to be a police officer all his life. And this is where and what happens. Even if you're not, even if you're acquitted, you wind up losing your job. You wind up... Probably losing your house because if you're a charged felon, you can't get another position in in many of the states. So we only not only help pay for the attorney's fees if the union's not paying for them. We also help with uh, if a mortgage needs to be paid, if you need additional funds for health care, if you need... Any additional funds that we can raise through our mailing campaigns or through any other campaigns that we do to raise money, we try to help the police officer get through to this experience without, with, let's put it this way, with the, the least emotional consequences possible. We also have a... Uh, group for wives that they can speak to each other. Obviously if it's an active case we try to keep everybody off of the subject of the case but talking to each other helps a lot. Uh, Sometimes the officers speak to each other other times they don't but that's become a big part of what we do also. We've got now, with everything that's going on, we've got 10 active cases. So, obviously, raising money is is hard. Uh, you know, direct mail and other fundraising sources are very expensive, which we try to explain to everyone as we get into this. But we have been uh, doing well, and I can get into a few of our cases as we go forward. Uh, besides, Joe... Uh, I'm
0: sorry, go on. One of the things, uh, us uh, involved in law enforcement, but for my audience, uh, we throw out some names there and people aren't so familiar with like Michael Brown. Can you give us just a little background on that? I mean, this is the Ferguson deal,
1: right? Yes. Michael Brown was a uh, young black man in Ferguson, Missouri, uh, very close to St. Louis in a uh, a black community. Uh, And the Ferguson police were there and what transpired was uh, there was a group of uh, young black people that had gotten together and somehow Michael Brown wound up use of force uh, doing a robbery at a local store and the police responded Michael Brown and, uh, Darren Wilson, who was a police officer, got into an altercation and, uh, Michael Brown tried to, uh, disarm Darren Wilson and he also, at some point, uh, tried to basically, uh, kill him and Darren Wilson did, it, in turn, shoot him and, of course, everybody showed up. There was a massive riot. The town was destroyed. Uh, the DA uh, put together a grand jury right away, and Darren Wilson went before that grand jury. And, of course, Al Sharpton was there. Jesse Jackson was there. Everyone was there. He was already convicted of a mur- as being a murderer before he even got into court and of course when he got there the grand jury didn't convict him and then everybody went crazy again Uh, and whatever uh, was left of the town uh, then the Obama administration sent in uh, Eric Holder's justice department and basically took over the police department and again investigated they found no wrongdoing they redid the whole shooting uh, and No wrongdoing on the part of the police officer. However, the police officer lost his house. His wife had death threats. His wife was also a police officer. Uh, They had to move. They had to leave the town. Uh, They had to have security. Uh, It was just a horrible situation. And uh, as it turned out, um, again, uh, the police officer... This, in this particular case was found, not even in court. He was found not guilty before he even got into court and basically sure. lost everything, had to start his life over. And just recently, a new district attorney in the Ferguson area, after five years, had tried to bring the case up again and reindict, but it didn't get off the ground. Yeah, isn't that something? You know, and then, let a look.
0: People don't realize it, I'm sure, and I'm, I know I don't know all the, the ramifications. But you get a young cop like that, he's, he goes through that situation, he defends himself, he's found, they try to uh, hang him before all the facts are in, then the facts come in and says, wow, he was well within his rights to use deadly force. But, okay, so, well, everything's okay now, he gets off, right? Well, yeah, Uh, meanwhile he's lost his house he's got to move he can't even go to the grocery store I mean he's got to leave town because his name has been uh, besmirched so much by the political machines that are anti-law enforcement but I don't think people quite realize that um, not just not to mention the emotional impact but the financial I mean um, there's national figures that can take the general Flynn situation where if they go after you, I mean, you lose, you haven't got enough money to defend yourself. And I think that's why uh, your organization, Jim, is so important that if people see that these policemen are charged uh, uh, and indicted before there's any, even any, the facts are in and they have no legal recourse other than, You know, they have to uh, put up their own attorney fees and that. I mean, that is just uh, overwhelming. So it
1: is. It's horrible. And um, just, you know, if you take a recent situation, take the situation in Minneapolis where you've got four police officers that are not only being charged with third degree murder. And um, the attorney general, Ellison, who was a congressman who has supported Antifa and Black Lives Matter in the past, he is charging them both with federal civil rights charges and third-degree murder. So he's charging all four of those officers, two of them being rookies, one on the street for four days, one on the street for three days. Oh, no. Charging... Everybody with third degree murder, I talked to the union representative who the union is actually going to pay their legal bills, but they cannot get a job. They have no money. So they, the legal bill is estimated at $6 million. So, I mean, this is destructive. They can't end the one individual uh one of the rookies he went into a store he had to leave because people were spitting at him and and throwing things at him and they don't know the case they don't know what transpired and this is horrible this is the the beginning of the end of his his life as he knew it and um and Uh, it's how do they get a, a fair trial yeah, exactly. You know, and
0: regardless, even if they're uh, police officers at fault, well, let's give him the same uh, benefit every other citizen has. You know, you're innocent until proven guilty. I mean, you take one little uh, clip of a cell phone thing and just blow it all out, but all the facts aren't in. You know, there's lots that goes on. I mean, uh, and the worst thing I think that, can happen to these guys is when the administration of the department throws them under the bus before they even know what's going on. Um, it's just amazing. That just happened recently here in uh, Mesa. I mean, they got rid of that chief and he didn't last long at all because he's, I mean, he's condemning the policeman for he even knows the whole story on some of the use of force cases and that, I mean, uh, so there's an unfairness there and I'm glad you're there to not only help them with their, uh, you know, you think about legal fees, okay? But yeah, but now how about my rent and mortgage and car payment? I got to relocate. I mean, all those other things that can just wear on a guy. I mean, a family. My goodness.
1: Exactly. Um, we have one case right now in in Nashville, and uh, his name is Andrew Delkey. It it had made the national news. Happened. Uh, now it's it's over a year ago, two October's ago. Uh, it was a uh, basically he had followed a uh, African American uh, several different places. He knew that there was a problem was a high crime area. He was in a actually in the youth gang unit and uh, followed this individual. The individual. Got out of a car, had a 9mm in his hand. He followed him. He told him multiple times to put down the firearm. And as he started to move towards a group of police officers and civilians and turned back towards the officer, he was shot. And immediately, and then after the shooting took place, he was cleared by one uh, district attorney then another one went to three different judges and had him indicted and now uh, he and his wife have taken several big losses including losing a child and their home and uh, he's waiting to go to court and that won't be until next year
0: well so this doesn't go away overnight that's for sure it's a long standing thing
1: Wow, no, and that? now, with, I'm sorry, with COVID-19, it's become twice as long. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Well, now, tell me, Jim,
0: how do you determine who you're going to represent? And, well, I'll ask you that first. Yeah, how do you determine which cases are going to go forward? I mean, obviously, uh, you don't have uh, unlimited resources. I mean, so how do you determine which ones you're going to assistant that's sort right of now
1: we we don't have unlimited resources and that's always a problem mm-hmm. and uh, what we do is we have a three-member board of directors myself retired police officer and up until two weeks ago we had an active police officer from prince william county virginia and a uh one of our other directors uh, was a uh, deputy attorney general for uh, Virginia, and he is an attorney. And what we do is we bring in the cases, we, if we see them or if we're called, and uh, then I get in touch usually with the attorney for the individual and uh, speak to him. I try and get as much information as possible, obviously and a a narrative from the police officer. And then we uh, sit down and look at all the facts of the case and determine, we determine whether or not the case would be a good one for us to take. We take a vote. And then once we decide that we're going to take the case, we do another interview with the individual and his attorney and if there is a union involved or somebody else supporting them involved we try to bring them in and then uh, we bring in our writer and we develop a letter and uh, we get it in the mail as soon as possible and try and raise money for them but the one thing we tell them is this is not an individual organization it's a collective so we try to bring in as much money as possible, Running, sending out letters for all of the people that we're representing. And then whoever needs the money and as fast as they need it, they're the ones that get it. And then when the money comes back in, then it'll go. If there's a case that's running right away, they're the ones that are getting the money. So everybody works together to help each other.
0: Well, well, that's got to (laughs) be funding is always uh, an issue in situations like that. I'm sure Uh, there's only so much to go around, and oh my goodness, yeah, you have to pick your priorities, and uh, it must wear on you a little bit in cases that need some assistance but just uh, don't have the priority or the or you don't have the funding to take care of them or the manpower, in fact. But my exactly. yeah, that's got to be very frustrating for you to. <laughs> which one do we take here?
1: <laughs> and we will if we can if we don't take a case and we think it was, you know, we we try to help. We'll try to send them, you know, fifteen hundred, a couple of thousand dollars, just to help them out a little bit. Our board does not get paid. Uh, we do have uh, several part-time employees that. Uh, help because as we're getting bigger I just I can't do it myself and now that uh, our other uh, board member has retired it's become a little easier to do some of the things that we do but uh, up until recently it's been pretty much just me putting everything together. So we've got some uh, part-time employees that we use to help keep everything together but uh, we've been we've been doing it we've been moving forward and I think we've actually uh, helped uh, a bunch of police officers around the United States uh, from New York to Arizona to Oklahoma so we're yeah. we've been we've been moving forward very fast and now uh, it seems like just more and more we just Uh, about a week ago, two Oklahoma cops from Wilson, Oklahoma called us and said, we need help. And uh, not only do we help, but we also have two New York attorneys uh, that are very good. And if they don't have an attorney and we can't get anybody else, we can, we have these attorneys that will usually work pro bono or work for what the union is paying. And they're both very, very good, and, and they'll uh, help if needed. But if not, we get them a local attorney, and it just happened Just happened that I knew uh, somebody from uh, from Oklahoma, and she took
0: the case. Oh, wow, that's great. Well, now, um, how long has the National Center for Police Defense been in existence, Jim?
1: It was started in January of 2015. We oh, okay. got a nonprofit non-profit status in September so
0: we're a okay. 501c3. I see so this is kind of you're still getting your moorings and learning the ins and outs and all that sort of thing but I tell you it's handy uh, to have experienced people at the helm I mean for instance okay I just happen to know somebody in Oklahoma <laughs> you know things like that they uh, that means a lot when you have some experienced people at the helm but it is a learning curve I'm imagine for sure um, it is, enough.
1: and now, and now we just started the Police Officers Defense Coalition, which will be a political arm of uh, our groups. And uh, not this election, but probably next year, we will get involved in some of the states. And uh, I've also we've also put together two new bills. I'm sure you've heard that. Uh, People are talking about taking away qualified immunity for police officers, Mm, which is a big protection, and it it is something that they want the Supreme Court to look at. We're working with uh, Representative Banks from Indiana, and uh, he wrote the legislation. We're supporting the legislation. Uh, We actually were going to write it, but... He already did a great bill and uh, qualified immunity. I'm not sure if everybody knows what it is, but pretty much it's a it protects police officers from somebody turning around and suing you for making a minimal mistake. If you say something wrong while you're speaking to them, if you quote the wrong part of the law, if you looked at somebody in the wrong way, they could sue you. So qualified immunity protects you from that. It also protects politicians. But what they were trying to do is exempt police officers and not exempt everybody else. So we wanted to make sure that police officers were taken care of. So we've Mm. got that bill already in Congress. Hopefully it's going to get a number and move forward. And then on the other side, we've, we have actually written a piece of legislation. What we've found is now p- police officers that are get, being charged with crimes were never usually civilly sued. And this is another part of what we've been trying to help with until they were either found guilty or not guilty. So if you're, if you're involved and you're charged with a crime, you go to court. For criminal court, and you go and you're tried by a jury, and then after that, usually the person that the crime was committed against or their family sue you civilly. Today, people are suing police officers immediately before they even go to court. As soon as you're charged by your department or by the DA, people are suing you so we've written legislation that would stop any civil action until after the criminal case
0: boy imagine both of those going on at once in your life my goodness
1: exactly because it causes twice distress suicide among cops is up 41 percent
0: sure yeah Jeez. now well listen i am so glad that uh you came on the podcast today, Jim, to explain some of that. I mean, we just scratched the surface of this, I'm sure. But I'm glad we have an experienced person like you at the helm of this. And I hope you stay. I know you're not a spring chicken anymore. but That's you know, true. It takes a lot of experience. Uh, and, you know, just watching the legislation, uh, the process it goes through, I mean, it's worse than watching grass grow you know it's so slow and methodical and you just got to be so patient and uh so i'm glad we have some experienced people like you with a lot of knowledge of the and i'm sure you're you're getting educated on every every case that comes up you get a little more educated on the whole deal but so for law enforcement in general let me just say thank you for that jim and what you're doing And it's a valuable work that a lot of people aren't totally aware of so now Somebody wanted to, thought this was a very valuable uh, institution. and something worth donating to even. They could go to National Center for Police Is that correct?
1: That's right. And uh, there is a donation button there. They could donate on the website. Okay. And then also you have
0: the PoliceOfficerDefenseCoalition.com, and that's that political wing you were talking about.
1: Yes. Yes, the, the and uh, they can also. There is an address on the website that they can uh, also mail checks to, which wow. uh, is is fine. And if somebody would want to get in touch with me directly, they can uh, get me at j. at National Center for Police Defense com there you go and you know um, so the
0: website is National Center for Police defensecom and on there I looked at it extensively before mm-hmm. an interview here and uh, there's a contact button there and so they can, they go there they're home free they can they can get a hold of them that sort of thing but it's a valuable service um, you know it's and it might not be a big deal until it happens to you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it can happen to anybody. I mean, to tell you, I've had guests on the podcast, and uh, I said, were you ever involved in any shootings or anything? He said, yeah, about five years ago. I said, do you feel comfortable talking talk about it? Well, no, because the civil case is still going on. I mean, you live with this stuff. I mean, just drags on, jeez. So, anyway, Jim, thank you for all you do, and thank you for being on the podcast today. We appreciate you so much, and again, people uh we've told them how to get a hold of you or donate or just learn more about it, get involved if they want. So thank you again. And we're going to wrap it up here. but is there any parting words
1: you have for us, Jim? Well, first, bill, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, and uh I'd just like uh, everyone to know that, you know, nothing is too small. If you think that uh, you have a problem, please give us a call, send an email. Uh, we're here in National Center for Police Defense. We're here to help police officers throughout the United States. And thank you again, Bill. Well, you're absolutely welcome, Jim. And I
0: might add to that, that you never know, just like the Oklahoma case, you might get a hold of someone you need some help. And... Maybe it's not available right away, but they've got a lot of contacts. And maybe someone is available. So there you go. Well, this kind of wraps us up for this episode of the Boys and Blue podcast. So we thank our audience for joining us. And thanks, Jim Fotis, for being our guest today. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Boys and Blue podcast. Again, I'm your host, retired police officer Bill McReynolds. Boys and Blue comes out every other week. Subscribe to the Boys and Blue wherever you get your podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and let us know what you think.